practicing the Dhamma Vinaya, we're following a path that leads to the way out of suffering. That practice involves developing knowledge, understanding. The type of knowledge that we're developing is the knowledge that gives us a clear insight into truth. so that we can uproot or abandon the causes of suffering from our minds. When the Buddha talked about different aspects of dukkha, he always said, Dukkha is to be known, understood. Parinyaya gicca, something to be known, understood for what it is. Dukkha is to be known as dukkha. Parinyaya means to know or knowledge understanding. In the Thai language they have the word parinya from the same root which nowadays means an education certificate like a degree. So practicing Dhamma Vinaya we're actually educating ourselves by studying and learning from truth. The Pariyati Dhamma is the description of truth that we learn about from the books, from the teachers, And that's important because we need to have some guidelines and conceptual understanding of what we're doing, why, what we're aiming for in the practice. But then there's also the knowledge, the understanding that comes through patipati, through practice. We can see even when we begin practice, perhaps we haven't learned much pariyati yet, we haven't read many books or heard many talks. It doesn't mean to say we can't practice or we have no knowledge. Any of us can begin practice and learn about ourselves start to be more responsible for our own actions and speech, 
our own thoughts and mental well-being. Just by looking and knowing and knowing, oh, this is something I need to improve on or change, adjust. Sometimes just looking at the way we're thinking or the way we're acting. And that doesn't need a book or a talk. It's just a matter of looking and knowing, often very quickly, just knowing, oh, this is not right. This is leading to dukkha. This is a dukkha. And that kind of knowledge, understanding what is dukkha, where it comes from and what we have to do to abandon it, that knowledge comes from the practice. The study, the learning that we do the pariyati supports that. But it's not exactly the same. So some practitioners have very little pariyati and they just train their minds to know from experience and become very sharp. Others like to investigate from many angles to learn all about things. So they learn a lot of the pariyati. Neither are wrong. But as Anjan Chah pointed out, the knowledge that comes through Patibhati is the actual strength of the mind. The knowledge from Patibhati, from Pariyati still based on memory and thinking and reasoning. So it's a bit more lightweight. So then if you have a task to do, we obviously can do more with strength. If you pick up a boulder, if you've trained in your mind and your body is strong, well, a heavy boulder can feel quite light and pick it up with ease. If you're not well trained and you're physically weak, then that same boulder will feel very heavy and maybe you can't even lift it up at all. Same boulder, but different experience maybe for different people. One person says it's light, easy to pick up. Another says it's heavy, maybe can't move it. So pariyati and patibhati are like this. Patibhati is about the strength of the mind, strength of the faculties and the qualities that allow us to see truth and abandon dukkha, the causes of dukkha. And training in mindfulness and clear comprehension strengthens the mind. Developing that ability to know in the present moment what you're thinking, what you're doing, 
of a sense of uh, responsibility in the present moment, knowing is this, what is this that I'm thinking now, that I'm doing now, that I'm saying now. Being able to know and to adjust accordingly. If we notice something is not quite right, it's bringing up some suffering, we want to adjust, to change. This is mindfulness, clear comprehension. To know things, uh, that, that which we can change in the way our mind is, the way we're looking at things, our attitudes, our thoughts, we can change. To know what we can't change. Say that some kinds of dukkha we just have to be patient with. You can't do anything about it. So if you have some illness in the body, you take medicine but you can't get rid of the pain or change the feelings and sensations that come with that illness, well, you have to be patient with it. But the illness of the mind, maybe you can change in different kinds of thoughts that bring up suffering and lead to speech and actions that create suffering. And that we can change. So mindfulness, clear comprehension is that quality that leads us to to look, to know, to be responsible for ourselves and what we're doing. It's actually learning from experience, actually knowing clearly what is what, no longer just going by the book actually seeing and knowing for oneself what is suffering and what causes it. And just reading the books alone is not enough, it's too lightweight because we haven't yet put it into practice. If we go on and use that knowledge, put it into practice, well then it becomes part of the path. But if it just stays as facts and ideas in the head, it's not yet the full path. So it's like the ancient doctors, the herbalists, you know, learn all the names of the herbs, the roots, the leaves in the forest. But if you just have the names and you can't go out and recognize those plants, bring them and make them into potions and powders to cure an illness. Well, that knowledge isn't much use. And Pariyati is like this. We actually have to bring it into practice through mindfulness and clear comprehension, applying it developing this quality that is knowing from experience and learning from experience. 
We don't have to go anywhere special. We just know this body and this mind as it is. Rupa Dhamma, Nama Dhamma. Rupa Dhamma, the physical body. It's the coarsest kind of thing you can know, the, the material world, this physical body and the world around us. Nama Dhamma is more subtle. It's the mind. It's mental activity. So it has no form. It's harder to see. But still we use mindfulness and clear comprehension to understand it, to know it as it is. So we can contemplate from our experience. You see a form with your eyes. So there's seeing. There's the eye, which is rupa, physical form. There's a thing that's seen, some object, another physical form. And then there's the seeing, the knowing, arising. That's mental, that's nama-dhamma. And we know with the mind, what is seen becomes mental, we absorb it through. Consciousness arises and the mind takes on that information. So we know with the mind, nama-dhamma. All of these things are just the nature of what they are, the nature of form, the nature of the mind, consciousness, seeing. If we label and remember that, that thing we see in a certain way, we think about it, well, it's just sanya and sankara, it's just perception and thinking. They also just have their own nature. None of these things are anything other than just things that exist in nature, in and of themselves. They're not good or bad or anything. Rupa Dhamma is just Rupa Dhamma. Nama Dhamma is just Nama Dhamma. If we have wisdom, and the mind is trained in mindfulness, clear comprehension, and trained in wisdom, panya, the eye of wisdom will see this and just sees form as form, namadhamma as namadhamma, seeing, feeling, thinking, just sees them as what they are. But if the mind is not trained in mindfulness, clear comprehension, wisdom, then it gets caught into upadana, attachment. Ignorance is the cause and the condition for upadana. So ignorance of the Dhamma, 
lack of mindfulness and wisdom, lack of understanding of truth, allows upadana to arise. Upadana means you have a view, maybe a view, this is self. This is a person who sees, feels, thinks. This is an I, this is my I. Maybe the thing you're seeing is you see in terms of a self, something belongs to you or has some relationship to you. You like it, you don't like it, you own it, you're involved with it, whatever you're seeing. But if Upadana arises and the mind becomes conditioned by wrong view, the opposite of Panya. So instead of Samaditi, there's Micha Ditti, wrong view. The sense of self forms. Really, a view is just a view. Again, it just is the nature of a view to be a view, it's just what it is. But by knowing wrongly, through the arising of ignorance and upadana, then we have a sense of self attaching. So we get my view and my eye and my feeling and my thought. And this leads to suffering. We also have mana. holding t tightly to that sense of self. And there's a view and then there's a sense of self. And it's an experience where the mind is holding on firmly to this view that this is me, this is mine, this is myself. So whatever feeling arises, whatever thoughts come up, there's a strong sense of self. If there's no mindfulness and wisdom present, then ditti and mana will arise, just in seeing some form. All of these things the Buddha explained are just things that exist in nature of themselves. Ultimately speaking, there's no self, there's no person or being in any of this. In the good, the bad, the thoughts we can have, the good thoughts, the bad thoughts, in Rupa Dhamma, in Nama Dhamma, all of it is just as it is. But because of our wrong thinking and our view and our attachment to view and attachment to this sense of self, then we grasp wrongly at things, interpret wrongly. And this is laying the cause for suffering. You keep having this experience over and over again through your life, then it becomes stronger, more solid. So upadana becomes more firm. Holding on to views and a view of self becomes firmer.
stronger, reinforces itself. Things that support the various views that we hold on to will reinforce it. Things that go against the views we hold on to, we tend to ignore, dismiss. Sense of self grows stronger over time. And the Buddha talked about nine kinds of conceit of self, nine kinds of mana. All of these ultimately are wrong view. They're all to be abandoned, seen through. But in the course of our practice, then sense of self will come up. It leads to that sense of comparing. As long as you've got a sense of self in yourself, in this body, in this rupa nama, then you have a sense of other beings people, selves. So you get comparing me and you, us and them. <coughs> so the way mana manifests is a sense of better than, worse than, same as. The nine kinds of mana. You're better than them and you feel you're better than them or think you're better than them. You're the same. You're better than them, but you feel you're the same as them. You're better than them, but you feel you're worse than them. You're the same as them, but you think you're better than them. You're the same as them, and you think you're the same as them. You're the same as them, and you think you're worse than them. You're worse than them and you think you're better than them. You're worse than them and you think you're the same as them. You're worse than them and you think you're worse than them. In the eyes of the Buddha, one with wisdom, true understanding, all are wrong. All nine are wrong, incorrect. Because they're coming from wrong view, supported by upadana, michaditi. And the cause of endless suffering amongst beings, endlessly comparing, competing, sometimes just suffering alone, but still with a sense of self, sometimes suffering because of involvement with others. But all wrong because there is no self, it's all delusion. But still ingrained and reinforced over time. So once it feels better than, same as, worse than, in all these different options over and over again. You can see in just in practical terms in daily practice how this comes up. And the Buddha said one of the places to look, and the most obvious place to look, is the way other people treat us. They are friendly to us, or unfriendly. They're respectful, disrespectful, kind or cruel. And then the reaction that comes in the mind. We tend to like people who are kind to us and respectful, speak nicely, 
dislike those who don't. Or even one person, they speak nicely one day, we're happy, speak not so nice the next day, we're unhappy. You know, all of this is ditti mana at work, conditioning the mind that the mind, our mindfulness and wisdom perhaps hasn't seen yet, or is only half seen. The mind is not yet strong through the practice. You'll find in your monastic life there's many, many situations that bring this up. Part of the practice of the Vinaya is help to just account for that and to manage that, especially in the beginning when we're not yet very mindful. So the way the Vinaya works in, the, in Buddhist monasticism, you have ways of relating to others, you have ways of doing things that are helping to manage ditti mana, sense of self. Actually for our own benefit, to allow things to be more smooth in the way the monastery functions, the way people relate to each other so that we can individually be more at ease and peaceful. But at first we have to learn that, value that, recognize it the value of that system. But you can see there's a lot of uh, anonymity. You know, we're not, we don't run the Vinaya based on special skills or personality types or special privileges or anything. Say whether you're the most senior monk or the most junior monk. The rules stay the rules, stay the same. It's not like one set of special rules for a very senior monk and some other more elaborate set for a junior monk. You know, the Parajikas, Sangadisesas, Pajitias, they stay the same for any monk, anywhere, any time. That means there's no one special or better than or worse than anyone else, all the same. In some practical ways, we do have systems where, say, you have seniority is often used as a practical way to solve problems. So you receive food in, cord in accordance with seniority. Senior monk goes first, junior last. That's just a practical system that allows for a smooth running system when you have a lot of people together, you know, once you understand the system, it's very easy. But in other aspects, it's not always like that, is it? Sometimes seniors go without, and juniors get more. So sometimes seniors get less rest, juniors get more rest, free time. Seniors have more responsibility. So obviously there are variations on this, but you have systems and ways of training that are based on giving a practical, harmonious way of living and also to help us to deal with ditti mana. You see, even in the time of the Buddha, whenever there were problems between 
monks in communities. It might start even over the very smallest little thing. Some rule like somebody forgets to empty out a water jar when they should have. Somebody else comes along, so the first person maybe broke a rule from lack of mindfulness. Second person comes along and says, hey, you got it wrong. You broke the Vinaya. Then an argument starts. Once the argument starts, you could say, well, they've both lost their mindfulness. There's a cause, there's a rule, a rule was broken, lack of mindfulness, which is understandable. Then another monk, very strict on the Vinaya perhaps, because of her view, because of her sense of self, then an argument starts. When you step back, you can say, well, both lose out, both lose mindfulness, both suffer. No winner. And when Ditti Mana leads to an argument, then um, there's no winners. No one's better or worse than. It's just suffering for everybody. In the case of that time when it was arguing over a water dipper, well, it ended up, everyone else joined in as well. One monk picked up on the other for his lack of mindfulness. And then another monk came in and said, you're being too strict on the Vinaya. You're using your Vinaya because of your ditti and your mana. Then another monk comes in and says, well, who are you to say? You're talking too much. Then another monk comes in and he says, well, you're all wrong. And so he gets pulled in as well. Eventually the entire monastery gets pulled into the argument. The very last senior monk comes in, oh, you're all arguing, you're all wrong, and he joins in. So the Buddha tried to use Sariputta Moggallana to sort it out and wouldn't, still wouldn't, they still wouldn't see sense. So the Buddha said, that's it, off to retreat. In the end, it was the lay people who sorted it out, got fed up with the arguing monks, stopped putting food in their bowl. But the root cause of all this, Ditti Mana, Conflict between people, misunderstanding, lack of compassion, lack of sensitivity. Sometimes it's between monks and lay people. I remember when I'd been upatarking, attending to Lumpur Cha for a long time, I was very tired and tired of living in a big community like Wapapong, wanted to go off on retreat. So I went down south with another monk from Ajahnan Nun's monastery. Some lay people invited us to go and stay in some forest because there's no monks there and they wanted to have the chance to make merit offering food to monks. This forest had been previously controlled by communists who had finally given up the struggle and sort of faded away but the area where the proposed monastery was, they had set aside for some community project. Obviously the communists didn't want to build a monastery, but once they'd gone, the local people said, well, this area is for a community area, we might as well build a monastery. So it was a piece of forest, 
set aside for a monastery with one very small rickety old wooden hut to act as a meeting hall. So we went down there to stay and it was very quiet and very remote, deep in the jungle away from the city. That's why the communists had been there. So it seemed quite a quiet place to practice. We just wanted to practice meditation, find a quiet place just for a temporary period. But since the communists had left, different villages had moved into the area and it was all state forest, so they're all carving out little plots of land for themselves, you might say illegally or semi-legally. Everyone fairly poor and seen a chance to get a bit of land so they could earn a living. Everyone was in the same situation, but there was one man who'd actually taken some of the land that was set aside for the monastery. And it was just jungle, so he cleared the jungle and planted his own little rubber trees in between the big forest trees and started to treat it as his own land, even though everyone knew it wasn't. So as soon as we arrived, he started to spread rumours around that these monks were no good because he was worried we were going to take his land back from him and he knew it was not his anyway, so there was naturally some fear. So he spread all these rumours in the village that these monks are no good. Nobody should put food in their bowls, everyone should chase them away. So quickly one of the villagers of, with faith came and told us so we had to sit there thinking, mm, what should we do? Should we stay? Should we go? They're spreading rumours about us. I only came here to practice meditation, to be peaceful, and they're already spreading rumours about us. It brings up ditti mana, when somebody accuses you of something you haven't done, or is unfair or unjust. What is that reaction? Well, that's ditti and mana, self-view. You hear words either first-hand or second-hand or third-hand. And then the interpretation of them gives rise to upadana. There's the sound, which is rupa, which is vibrations hitting the ear. And then the sanya arises and a feeling Immediately you interpret the words as some kind of threat or unjust comment. So there's unpleasant feeling arises in either fear or worry or aversion arises. But this is all ditti mana. Maybe you have the next thought, hmm, who are these guys to say we're bad, we're wrong, we're just monks keeping the vinaya not bothering anybody. And that could be mana, can't it? I am better than them. They're worse than me. Or the same as me. Or I'm worse than them. If you feel depressed by the words, then it's, oh, I'm one with a lot of bad karma. Well, whatever I do, people want to criticize me. Can go that way as well. Can go any way of a hundred ways. 
any version. It's all ditti mana. This is the kind of thing we have to, in practical terms, establish mindfulness, clear comprehension and reflect on wisely. What is the real cause of suffering? Is it the words and the sound or is it our own mind? Giving attachment, giving special importance to these words and building them up inside. What did the Buddha say do here? He said, no, establish mindfulness and let go. Put down the sense of self. Don't reinforce it like you've been doing for many years, many lifetimes. Put it down. Just let it be words coming and then going away again. You don't have to pick them up and hold on to them and interpret them in any way. So we decided to just sit it out, carry on practicing because we'd been invited there and a large number of the local people were supportive. It was just a small group who were against us. Then the guy got really angry because we didn't leave and then actually started threatening us because he had guns. Stopped his family putting food in our bowls, coming to the monastery and actually told the other villagers he's going to shoot us. Then back to um, Diti Mana, sense of self. Should I stay? Should I go? <laughs> Well, on, on you have to practice, don't you? Whatever arises, whatever the challenge is, it's something you have to learn about through investigating with mindfulness and wisdom. In that situation, we just used the reflection of what the Buddha had done when they accused him unjustly. He said, well, just stick it out. Told Venerable Ananda, we won't go anywhere, we'll just stick it out and it'll gradually these things will be proven to be true or false and then they'll end there. So we stuck it out and gradually more and more people came to here and they're all very upset. This man had threatened us. They all came to realize he was the real problem, not us. But they didn't do anything. We didn't say do anything to harm him. We said, just leave him alone and he'll find out for himself. In the end, he realized we weren't out to grab his land or do anything to him. We were just monks, just Tudong monks, practicing peacefully. But internally, you have to do your practice, contemplate ditti and mana, whether it's other monastics or lay people. So when you develop mindfulness, you're developing this quality of personal responsibility for everything you think, your views, your mental activity, and then obviously what you say and what you do. You can't just blame other people or put it onto other people. Sometimes we do that and we say, oh, well, they, they were doing it, so I did it. Sometimes you hear that like lay people come and they say, oh, they, at work everybody drinks, so I drink.
because I don't want to be the odd one out. Or everybody is a little bit dishonest with their tax receipts or some aspect of the job. So they're doing that and I don't want to be the odd one out or get in trouble with others, so I do it. But, you know, that's not always being responsible, is it? We, we have to also think for ourselves what karma we may be making. Can't just always go on what other people do. If they're a good example, well, maybe you can, but if they're not, then you have to also take responsibility for yourself. Like the person who talked to Venerable Sariputta said, they uh, made bad karma because they were just following along what their family or what someone else did. He said, well, when you, get, when you die and you get to the gates of heaven, there'll be Yamabala there checking your karmic account book. And do you think he'll accept it if you say, well, I did it because they did it? Do you think he'll let you off that karma? It doesn't work. Karma is karma, good and bad. The only way around things is to learn through mindfulness and in wise reflection we learn how to improve our minds, become a little clearer, a little wiser. I use the teachings the Buddha gave us, this is the value of pariyati, you learn the pariyati, you study, it gives you a foundation for reflecting on your experience. You know, what is upadana? How does it come up? How does it affect me? What is mana? Ditti and mana, how are these, how do these come up for me? How does it manifest? What does it lead to? Does it lead to suffering? It can even be very subtle suffering. Like somebody rang up today, they think they're Ariyapugala. If they are, that's good. But imagine if you fall into a delusion, you think you're an Ariyapugala. Then what? Like what Upadana does, because it's based on ignorance and delusion, a lack of mindfulness, tends to mean you pick up and notice everything that supports that view. So say if you think you're Ariyapugala, then everything that you say that is wise or you reflect on that is wise, everything you do that is good and in line with your understanding of what an Ariyapugala does and how they behave, well, everything will seem to support it because you'll notice it. Anything you do that doesn't fit, you'll tend to not notice, you'll dismiss, because it doesn't fit with your view. Because if you have an attachment to a view, it's like, makes you blind to one part of truth. Because it's an attachment, because it's a view, it's like your mind just fixes on that. So anything else, it blots out. Doesn't fit, must be wrong, doesn't back up what you think about yourself, say, in this case. It's very difficult to uproot views like that sometimes. Because they tend to be self-reinforcing as well. So everything you do seems to say, yes, 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 that's right. 
if somebody else comes along and says no, then you just get upset and don't want to talk to that person and go away. Or just think, well, they don't really know. And on, and on, and on it goes until either you're very lucky and you see for yourself or maybe me to teach you can point it out. Really the only way to sort these things out, you have to develop mindfulness wisdom. Be your own teacher, develop that ability to turn back and question things. Learn from your own experience. Get into that good habit. Not believing everything, not looking to always confirm an opinion or a view you have already. Sometimes you have to be able to challenge your own opinions. Look around, look at things from different angles. Is it really correct? Is this the only way of looking at it? If it's things with other people, you know, sometimes we have to put ourselves in their shoes, say, how are they thinking? Why do, what makes them tick? Why do they do the things they do, think the things they think? If it's yourself, just say, well, is this view I have, is this correct? Could it change? It's not certain. You keep applying anicca dukkha anatta, that reflection to things, and the view can change. You can see, oh, it's still something that can change, can go up, go down. The more we come to develop strong mindfulness and then wisdom to back it up, then this is what brings real stability to the mind and ability to look at things correctly, not fall into wrong views. You can't change your karma, what you've done in the past will keep bringing results back to you. But it gives you some firm foundation, some stability that you can look at things without necessarily getting upset or caught out by things. So it makes your practice smooth. And what makes your practice smooth and even is not getting rid of everything you don't like and all the problems, because that might never happen. Even the Buddha got old and had sickness and had problems with difficult monks and difficult lay people and so on. You never get rid of all the obstacles and problems externally because we have an endless supply of karma to bring things to us. But what makes the practice smooth and even is the training internally, establishing mindfulness. Those small moments of mindfulness joining up become more continuous. The wisdom that is like flashes and moments of insight becomes more deep and deeply established in the mind. then whatever comes, you can contemplate it. And you have a certain sense of security and safety in the mind because you're not necessarily going to get fooled by everything or grasp at everything without contemplating it. You have ability to trust your own mindfulness and wisdom to look at things, step back, look at things. Sometimes maybe in a more balanced way or just in different ways. And you're willing to accept everything is a Nietzsche. 
It's not certain. So tonight is uh, the new moon night, second to last uposita of the Vasa. So good opportunity to do more meditation, sitting, walking. And later on we have the Patimokha and uh, use the uh, occasion just to deepen our practice, put more effort into developing mindfulness and investigating the Dhamma. So I'll leave these words with you to think about tonight.